0: Welcome to Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. Now, here's your hosts, Pippin Williamson and Brad Tunaugh.
1: Welcome back to Episode 73. Uh, This time, Brad and I are going to go over some updates and then talk a little bit about some things that were announced at WordCamp US uh, last month in Philadelphia, or actually earlier this month in Philadelphia. But first, this episode is sponsored by PostStatus. PostStatus is a project by Brian Krogsgaard and is a resource for news, updates, and other things happening in the WordPress ecosystem. Uh, It is a wonderful website to kind of pay attention to what's going on. And Brian also has a members-only section where you can subscribe to the site and get access to special resources that include video interviews, additional podcasts, blog posts, as well as a Slack channel where you can um, jump in and talk with other members of the PostStatus community on everything from development to e-commerce to life and health and many, many other other subjects. Um, It's uh, one of my favorite resources for WordPress uh, news, updates and conversations. Brad, you're I believe you're also a member, aren't you?
0: I am. I am a member and I love post status. Uh, I love the emails that Brian sends out to club members so that we can get uh, basically just condenses all the news down to like little bite sized pieces that you can consume quickly. And so it just saves you from having to kind of trawl through all of the WordPress news sites and figure out, you know, and separate kind of the noise from from the signals. Yeah. So when time is a
1: premium, which it always is, uh, those summaries are awesome.
0: Yeah. It's good to get his like viewpoint on things too. I really appreciate that. The, the, yeah, the, the guy. Brian's he's been called. around
1: for a long time. So he's pretty, uh, he's got some pretty astute observations and ha- pays really close attention to what's going on. Um, one thing I did want to mention real quick is that he, Brian just posted an interview that he did with Matt Molenweg, uh, shortly after, uh, WordCamp US, and talking a little bit about a new WordPress development cycle, uh, the WordPress Rest, REST API, and more. So uh, go check out poststatus.com and give Brian some love. Alrighty, Mr. Brad, what have you been up to in the last couple of weeks?
0: Uh, well, I think we haven't done updates uh, for like four or five weeks, actually. Um, so quite a bit has happened for me. I've been to Scotland for the first time to meet up with, uh, the UK contingent of, of the delicious brains team. Uh, and, uh, we tried to do a, how many team members do you have over there? I've got four, four guys, uh, that live in the UK. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, we met up, none of them are from Edinburgh, so we all met met up in Edinburgh, and there was a WordPress meetup uh, one of the evenings that we were there, so we went to that. Uh, so it was cool to kind of meet the local WordPress community in Edinburgh, so that was pretty neat. And then, I mean, there's you know, castles all over the place, and, you know, experiencing the culture and everything, it was, yeah. It was How so long were you guys there? Nice trip. Uh, it was Four four days, I think Four or five days So, uh, yeah So it was awful, though The flights I had three flights It took me to get there And it's If I could fly direct It would have been like A five-hour flight On the way home It took me 23 hours To get home <laughs> So <laughs> Because normally that
1: would only be like a 10, or, ten hour flight across the Atlantic. Oh, like five, a
0: five hour flight, I think. I think I, think wow, I can fly. So, what fly. route did you take to get there? I had to fly. Normally it would be like Halifax, like a Halifax to London flight would be like five hours. But this was Halifax to Boston, Boston, Dublin, Dublin, Edinburgh. And, uh, you know, with all the layovers and everything else, it was, yeah, it was ridiculous. On the way home, That's intense. yeah, <laughs> it was worth it in the end. But it was, it was, uh, it was a process. And then I attended uh, WordCamp US just a couple of weeks ago, uh, and we, you were there, and other people were there, and so that was cool. Um Oh, and and my team was there. So the North. So America- yeah,
1: I, I thought you had your either your whole team or most of your team there. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, the North American contingent of of my team. So the two Canadians and uh two from the U.S. Uh We all met up in Philadelphia and ate some food, hung out, went to WordCamp U.S. and and all that stuff. So it was pretty cool. It was
1: a it was a really really great event. Yeah, um, I think it was.
0: It was probably better than
1: last year, and last year's was, was really good too.
0: Yeah. I, I enjoyed it more last year. I think it's because I, I didn't stay up so late <laughs> or, or something because uh, was, I, I was just so exhausted like after the first day, and I, I just didn't recover. And so it was, this year was tougher for me um yeah see i did the opposite last year
1: i was <laughs> right. uh super late every night and this year i was 10 30 nope i'm out folks right i
0: remember that because you guys had wasn't it called the post status house Was you were staying with last year yeah we
1: had the post status house yeah
0: the post status slash edd house so you and guard were had a house and uh wasn't Strebel staying there too? And
1: yeah, I think there was about twenty of us <laughs> there. We, t- we technically had three floors of this house that had been turned into apartments. So we had three different apartments, each one with like five to eight people in it.
0: Right, right. So you guys, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you but guys, it also just meant that we had a
1: lot of late nights.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what else happened? Uh, Mergebot uh, launched uh, beta uh,
1: on. I've been mean, seeing your emails coming through in it. Yeah. Looks like you're adding a lot of new beta testers to it, aren't
0: you? Yeah, we're up to 110 about beta testers right now, which is excellent. Uh, you know, we're getting lots of feedback coming in. The good news about the feedback, too, is that the majority of the feedback is stuff that we're already working on that's kind of at the top of our priority list. So we have to knock those things off and to kind of see what's next. What, what are the other issues people want to see resolved next? Um, and I mean, that's, that's kind of how betas go, right?
1: I find that betas are a lot of times hit or miss because sometimes you release a beta and you don't get any feedback, right. um, maybe one or two. How, how has it been for you so far with this one? Are you getting a lot of genuine feedback?
0: I wouldn't say are we're getting bug reports. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say we're getting a lot. Uh, we're getting a trickle, I would say. And uh, but, but the, the feedback that we are getting is, has been good so far. Um, what I'm anticipating is once the first m- month rolls around and subscriptions start renewing, I expect people to either cancel their subscription or, or ask for a refund because they're not using it. And then we can have to start to have those conversations or at least I'll have more conversations at that point about like why, why the canceling what would they are like able to, to see, see
1: of those beta testers? What percentage of them are actually testing it and using it because you have this set up as a service. Sorry. Do you have those kind of activity logs and such?
0: We do, but it's pretty raw. Like we don't have nice reports that I can run. Um, I pretty much just ask the guys, you know, is this person active? Like who are, Give me a list of people that are active. Like they, they, would, they would have to run their own kind of custom query to figure out like, you know, what users are active, which users are inactive and stuff like that. So it's pretty, it's pretty raw at this point. It would be nice to have reports <laughs> that, that show that, but I mean, you know, priorities, right? So uh, I think what I'm going to do is start reaching out to customers in the new year uh, that uh, are using it and those that aren't using it just to nudge them to see you know maybe maybe it's maybe they're stuck maybe i need to help them get unstuck right so just just uh reaching out i think will, will help a lot with that
1: so of those 110 beta users are those users all signed up for subscriptions or are they going to automatically convert into paid subscribers after the beta period is done Oh, or are they so, free accounts or anything like that? So
0: the beta is actually not free. <laughs> ah. We are actually charging $9 a month right now for the beta. So uh, that's why I was saying, like, when people cancel after a month, then I'll know, you know, that maybe they canceled because they weren't getting enough value out of it. Maybe they weren't using it. So why weren't they using it? So I can have those conversations when they stop paying, right? Um, So yeah, that's why I just, that's the main reason I decided to charge. I mean, $9 a month is, I kind of regret not charging more, a more realistic figure. Um, Sure, but it's still going to let you
1: get rid of some of the fluff in in the beta users. Like anybody who signs up for a beta, whether they actually go through with it or not, at least have the intention of utilizing it because otherwise i wouldn't pay for it
0: yeah i guess what my concern with charging the small amount is that uh that some people might just keep paying it just to keep the grandfathering <laughs> because i I've, I've i've promised all the beta users that they get in at nine dollars a month that they they keep that plan at nine dollars a month they don't they're not going to be subject to price increases in the future, as kind of a thank you for helping us out early on, right? And uh, so, <laughs> it they you know they might just hold on to it for the whole year because it's not very much money in the grand scheme of things, right? Uh, just just to hold on to to that grandfathering. So, but anyways. We'll see what happens. It, it'll be a, it's a good experiment, nonetheless.
1: Okay, so now you're what three weeks into the beta period. Uh, do you have a realistic uh, public launch in mind yet?
0: No, not yet. I, I think I think we're a ways off from that yet. But some pretty hefty issues. But we don't know. We feel they're hefty issues, but we need people to tell us that they're hefty issues, right? I mean, that's going to determine when launch can be right. Like if people tell us, okay, this is a problem that, and that we didn't even think was a big problem for people, you know, we might have to tackle that before launch. So right now we just don't have a good feel of what people need in the app. Right. So
1: do you have any from, from the beta period, do you have anybody who's given you uh, either small or large success stories? Uh, or is it too early? It's to a say? little early. I mean, you're still only three weeks in.
0: Yeah, it's pretty early to tell. It's funny. I was talking to people at WordCamp US, and we had we had launched the beta on Tuesday, and some people had left for WordCamp US on Tuesday or Wednesday. So no one, you know, people had told me they had an invite, that they got in or had a subscription, but they hadn't used it yet, right? So it was was a little frustrating. I was like, oh, I wish we had launched the beta like a week earlier, you know, because I could have these one-on-one conversations with people about MergeBot um, after they've used it for a week or so. Uh, But, you know, hindsight 2020, right?
1: Sure. Um, Well, it sounds like things are progressing pretty nicely with it.
0: Yeah. I'm excited for
1: you. It's going to be a cool product when it comes out.
0: Yeah, uh, one of the issues that have co- has come up uh, actually kind of involves EDD a little bit. Um, ah. So when. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it, no, no, no. It involves pretty much every plugin. But, but, the, uh, but it's interesting how it involves EDD. So when EDD installs, doesn't it go through all the users and add something, a uh, capability or something?
1: we we do add a couple of capabilities to the site but it doesn't go through all users doesn't
0: go through all it, it'll go
1: through we have a couple of user roles like for example we have a shop manager role we create we have a uh, shop administrator we have a shop worker we have a shop accountant and so these various roles allow Are basically given to user roles with certain capabilities so that they can edit products, edit other people's products, edit store settings, view reports, et cetera.
0: So, does it go through the like a certain certain users and assign them those capabilities? It will go
1: through, it'll assign it to administrators. That's the only default role that gets edited.
0: Right. Okay. So, when it installs, it runs that routine that queries for all administrative users and adds that capability.
1: Well, technically it doesn't add it to the users, it adds it to the role, but which in turn adds it to the users. Yeah,
0: okay. So, whatever. <laughs> but but right. Okay. So, so what he, what happens though is if if let's say you're running Mergebot and you install EDD locally and it does that. Well, let's say on the live site some new users get added, right? So on the local site, MergeBot is going to record that those changes that happen, that EDD makes. It's going to record those capabilities that get added to those users. But if any new users get added to the live site uh, between when you record it and when you deploy, those new users won't end up with the capability. Because MergeBot only knows about the, uh, the ones that were rec- recorded locally. So that's that's a big problem. Um, we're Interesting. Cl- yeah, 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 we're calling it, it, it. This this happens in other. This is just one situation. Uh, another example of it is with WooCommerce. So when you save a product in WooCommerce, like let's say you it's a digital product and you change the zip file, like you it's a new version of the zip file. Uh, when you save the product, it loops through all the users and adds like a product permission to the downloadable product permissions table. And so Mergebot could record all those changes that happen when you do that, right? But all the new users that get added, right, on the live site, won't have those product permissions added at deploy time Mm. right so I don't know if you saw
1: this though specific to that particular issue that loop that WooCommerce does to add those permissions has actually been removed in the new version that's coming up in 2.7 oh
0: is it interesting
1: yeah it was too performance heavy oh yeah it took too much power
0: oh yeah it takes when we update a product it takes like several minutes to
1: to yeah um, I think it's on the develop develop Dot WooCommerce.com site. Uh, they just announced the first beta version of 2.7 and that's one of the highlights.
0: Right. But anyhow, it, it's, so these are all operations that require the data at, at deploy time, right? Like, so the, basically you have to like run this PHP code against the f- database at deploy time is really the only time that it can be run effectively. And so we're thinking now, like we have to, like we're gonna have to solve this on on a plugin by plugin basis, and maybe get plugin vendors like like yourself, like allow us to to trigger your plugin to run that routine at deploy time again. So so EDD would loop through all of the admin users and add the capability again at deploy time. Um, that's the only solution that we've come up with so far, which is,
1: it seems, it seems pretty reasonable
0: though. Yeah. It's reasonable, but it's, it sucks because it, still <laughs> it sucks because you have to do it on, on a case by case basis. Right. Right. So, but sometimes that's what's, you know, solutions are. Uh hey, making progress. Yeah. Yeah. What else you got for us? Uh, well, at, uh, we, we attended contributor day at WordCamp US and uh, I started hacking away at a plugin to relegate uh, image resizing to a background process. So, so what a lot of themes do, they do what's called on-the-fly image generation. Uh, and so like, when you hit the page for the first time, it will actually resize the image and then feed the image to the page and, and so it takes; it could take a while to display the image, right? Because it has to generate it first before it comes back. And uh, and you know that's bad; that's hard on the server. And it's not; it's not a great system anyway because it's for responsive. So the, the resizers that I've seen only do one image size. So uh, you can only uh, you can like you cu- the designer can't define several image sizes that would work with their responsive design, right? So anyway, this this plugin just gives theme designers a a function where they can just input a bunch of different image sizes and it will generate them. And it will add the the necessary metadata to the attachment in, in WordPress. So that if you delete the image from the media library, it will delete the resized images, which a lot of on the fly image generators don't do that. They just leave the images behind. And, and and it does it all in the background. So like if you request, let's say you request a page and the all the image sizes that are defined um, in uh, in the theme that the designer wants to show aren't generated yet. It will just serve the the best one. It will just choose the best one that already exists. So like the default uh, one of the default sizes uh, that WordPress creates. Uh, but then it'll queue it up in the background to create those other image sizes. Does any of this make sense? This makes perfect
1: sense. And <laughs> as, you, as you've been explaining this, I've been reading through the, uh, the GitHub repository and the, file, the plugin code and the, and the installation guide. This is really slick. What was the inspiration or driving force behind this? So you mentioned OT, OTF on the on the fly um, image generation, which is which is definitely an issue performance wise. Now, was this a personal need that you guys had from your own experience with your own sites, with maybe older projects, client sites or something else? Or was this something that somebody else brought up during Contributor Day and you re- realized, hey, I think we can solve this?
0: Yeah. So uh, so we have this background processing library that we use in, in Offload S3 and it's reusable. So other plugins are using it. WooCommerce is using it. Um, and I believe some other plugins. I'm not sure. So definitely WooCommerce is using it. And so we're trying to figure out a way to develop it further and then eventually get it into WordPress core. And I, I was talking to Mike Schrader, Schroeder. Shredder. <laughs> we, we call him Shredder, though, right? And uh, at, at WordCamp uh, Europe uh, in June. And he was saying that back, background processing would be a good thing uh, candidate for doing image processing in the background, and that would be a good kind of gateway to get the background processing libraries into WordPress core. If you could, if you could get it in with image processing, so that that was kind of the inspiration for it. We also have problems with on-the-fly image generators and offload S3. So, like all these things, kind of came together, and I was just like, this sort of solves. Well this is like more than more than two birds with one stone. This is like three or four birds. <laughs> so so this just, just made sense to do this. So I just finally just, you know, got busy and, and did it. This is slick. Yeah.
1: How many let's say that you have a thousand images in the queue on a site? Mm-hmm. What kind of time frame would we realistically expect that queue to be worth?
0: <laughs> I don't know, man. It, that depends on a lot of things, right? Like that depends on the server, uh, how powerful it is, how much demand is on the server. Okay, well, let me see if we can,
1: Let's see if we can phrase this in a different way. So this is all done in the background.
0: Yeah.
1: How often is the queue getting processed? And say how large of it's doing it in, in batches, right? Does it, yeah. does it run, say, like a couple times in an hour? Is it once a day?
0: When, when the request comes through and the function is called, it will uh, it'll kick off the background process using a, an asynchronous uh, request using curl. So it'll kick off a, a curl request to WordPress. And, and that'll start, start uh, generating the images uh, and then if it needs to do another batch, like if it if it has to stop processing for whatever reason, maybe PHP times out or whatever, uh, it'll kick off another one. So it's like a chain of, of asynchronous requests. And if, if for some reason that chain of requests uh, dies or something and stops working, there's a WP cron that, that is running to basically keep it alive to make sure that it, it, it runs to completion once the queue is is empty it it removes the cron it removes everything so the the whole thing is kind of cleans itself c- cleans up after itself it do, it's not constantly running then
1: what kind of protection is there for um, preventing too many background processes getting triggered does it, does it always only allow one run at a time? Or could potentially, let's say, if your site suddenly got a thousand hits, would each one of those potentially trigger a new process?
0: As far as I know, uh, so Ashley is the one that wrote the background processing library, and I'm really just using it <laughs> in this plugin uh, as a proof of concept. Uh, but as far as I know, it'll just run the one at a time. Like it won't do several, like if you hit, uh, a bunch of different pages at once, it won't try to ru- do all the regeneration of images at once, right? It'll it'll do them in order. And it also, it does take a look at memory, the memory that's available. It takes a look at CPU usage and it determines whether or not it should be running and whether, you know, whether or not it will run. So it, it's pretty, it's a pretty cool little system and he's currently working on setting it up so that you can run it as a daemon process on the server so it's not so dependent on wp cron as we know is not all that reliable um so so for most situations you're not going to use a cron uh, a daemon process right most people are not going to be logging into server with ssh and setting up a daemon but in certain situations you know, someone that's setting up a very busy site or a site that they want to optimize for, for, you know, maximum performance, they could do this if they wanted to. So, yeah. Very cool. Lots of stuff happening there. I Yeah, I urge anyone to check that out. We'll link it up in the show notes and, uh, yeah, check it out. Anyway, what have you been up to, Pippin?
1: Well, we haven't... Pushed a whole lot of updates in the last few weeks. We pushed some little updates here and there, um, but we've been mostly focusing on three major releases. Uh, we have 2.7 of Restricted Content Pro coming up, as well as 2.7 of Easy Digital Downloads, and then we have 2.0 of Affiliate WP, all three of which are hopefully getting released sometime in January. Wow. Um, it's
0: busy January. The nice thing is that we
1: have, um, with the, the way that our team has grown over the last year, we actually have uh, developers working on all three projects simultaneously. So we're able to do releases concurrently. It used to be that we would do one project. So like we do it our speed, then we do EDD, then we do affiliate. WP. Um, now we can do them all at the same time uh, because we have uh, team members working on all three simultaneously. So there's a couple of major things that we're doing in these three. So restrict content pro, for example, um, we are trying to get rid of some of our, our technical debt that we've had for a long time um, and, and making some improvements there. So, f- for example, there's been some really um, there's been some nuances with the way that like, category level restrictions work. So let's say that you have content that you restrict to specific categories. Um, and, and these could be a, an actual category. It could be a custom taxonomy from another plugin. Think of, for example, product categories inside of WooCommerce. Um, there's, there's been a lot of nuances with the ways that those restrictions are handled. So one little example is that we have this option in the plugin to automatically redirect a member away from a page that they don't have access to. So let's say that you are a subscriber on a site and you try to access a page that is restricted to members of a subscription level other than your own. So maybe you have a silver level, but the, the post requires the gold level. So those, that, that redirection from that page to somewhere else, maybe a landing page that says, oops, you, you can't access this, you need to upgrade your account type page. Those kinds of redirects would only happen at say like the page level restrictions. But if you restricted content via a at a taxonomy level or like a category, so all content within this particular category is restricted. That kind of that redirect would never happen. Um, and there's a few other cases where basically we had inconsistent behavior, inconsistent feature sets, where like the, the redirect could only work on in these conditions but not in these ones, or. That for, there's a, a method in one of our classes basically called can access. And so you can say, can this user ID access this post ID? And it will return true or false based on the member's subscription, their status, etc. That check completely ignored taxonomy level content restrictions. It just didn't even know about them. Uh, And there's there's other cases, too. Those are just two. We're bringing all those together um, and making it so that no matter how you've restricted that content, whether it's on in the post specific settings or on the edit screen of a taxonomy, they all behave the same way. So like the redirects, the can access determinations and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, So getting rid of some of that technical debt is Um, kind of exciting for us. It's a little bit challenging um, to do without breaking things, but it's a fun project. Uh, Then we're doing things like uh, introducing HTML emails into Restrict Content Pro. It's had really plain, basic plain text emails for a long time that you can't edit in any way. You can edit the contents of those emails, but you couldn't edit the, say, the template files uh, to to customize the appearance of those emails. We've Completely, inter- We've introduced new HTML emails that have full template files that you can go edit the HTML and the CSS for. Um, we're adding in support for a new authorized.net gateway. So there's a lot of people that wanted to use Restricted Content Pro with authorized.net. That's going to get added. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of little other things. Hopefully, we're going to have... Um, a new option for having one-time discount codes. Right now in Restricted Content Pro, if you add a discount code uh, and a customer registers in a, a recurring subscription with that discount, let's say for 20%, that 20% is going to apply to their first payment and every payment after that for that subscription. But a lot of people only want to discount the first payment. So we're adding support for that and a bunch of other things. So that's Restricted Content Pro. Hopefully it's going to be ready sometime in January. Um, in the affiliate WP realm, uh, we're primarily focusing on some new integrations. So for example, there is a, there's a new integration for paid member subscriptions, which is a nice membership plugin from Cosmos labs. Uh, there is a new integration for contact form seven. Um, interestingly, contact form seven is one of our most highly requested feature, uh, integrations that people ask for all the time. (laughs) Uh, which I find a little bit surprising, but maybe not because it's still has a huge user base. Hmm. Um, and then we've got a couple of other integrations, WP forms. What kind of
0: integration would that be like between affiliate WP and contact form seven? Like why would they need to integrate?
1: There's, there's two main things. So some sites want to do like sign up tracking or just conversion tracking of a submission form. Um, there are, there are a lot of sites out there that actually will pay a commission for leads. And so if you send a lead to the website, we're going to pay you five cents or something like that. It's pretty common. And so that lead is based on the submission of a contact form. Uh, or what they might do is they might record a pending referral, a pending commission, and then if that lead turns into a project, then they will pay it out. So that's pretty common. The other one is that Contact Form 7 actually has payment add ons so that you could make a, pay, a PayPal payment or a Stripe payment through Contact Form 7. Uh, and people want integrations for those.
0: Oh, OK. So you need to capture the this, um, the sale uh, yep. or market market as a sale in Affiliate WP when the form is submitted. Right. right.
1: Okay. OK. And then the other big thing for 2.0 Affiliate WP is batch processing. Um, Affiliate OP is very data intensive. There's a lot of commission records, there's affiliate records, there's there's visit logs, there's a lot of things like that. And in order to produce really good reports and be able to provide good export options and any accumulation of, of data in a lot of different formats it takes a lot of uh, processing power and so to make it so that we can do more advanced things we're adding in a generic um batch processing api so that we could then set up uh, whether we are exporting a payment file for affiliates we are exporting commission records or affiliate accounts whatever we're doing we can do it in a batch processing system so that we can handle much much larger data sets so that's getting introduced it's getting close to being done um, And there's a, there's a bunch of other small improvements, but those are the major things.
0: Cool. Is the batch processing API, don't you already have something in place though for that?
1: We have it in easy digital downloads, but not affiliate WP.
0: Oh, okay. But don't you have like an export function in affiliate WP already? We do, we do,
1: but it all does it in one process. So if you go and say, generate a payout file for the last 60 days, for the 500 affiliates that I have and the 10,000 commission records they get generated, it does it all in one process. I see. Which causes scaling problems because once you get uh, big enough, then your site crashes in the middle of a payout file generation, and that's no good.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's no good.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, so we're trying, to, we're trying to fix that. I think I mentioned this on the, the previous episodes, um, but we hadn't released it yet. We officially released Zapier for, for the WP. So we now have a connection between Affiliate P and Zapier, which can be really, really powerful. A quick example that we use it for is we now sync all of our affiliate accounts directly into MailChimp with, with all of their um, account data. So everything from their commission rate to their payment email to their affiliate ID, et cetera, is all dropped straight into MailChimp into what's called merge tags so that we can send out emails, uh, affiliate emails to or marketing emails to our affiliates with their relevant data, so everything from their affiliate ID to their current earnings to their um, different different things like that uh, is one of the things that we use Zapier for. So anytime that a new affiliate is added, it automatically gets added to Mailchimp. If we ever deactivate an affiliate, it gets removed. Um, anytime that a the earnings or the stats update for an affiliate, it goes straight to Mailchimp, uh, and that's all powered by Zapier.
0: I I just realized that I've been saying Zapier wrong all along.
1: I used to always say it as Zapier and then I got chewed out for being wrong. Oh,
0: it's, it is so wrong now that I think about it. Like Zapier, (laughs) it's not a zape, it's a zap. Like why would I say Zapier? (laughs) Oh man, that's going to be hard to change.
1: Yeah, it's, it's taken me a little while to, to get it right. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but so that's out, and it, it there's there's just a lot of things that you can do with Zapier. Zapier is a very powerful system, uh, and once you recognize the possibilities of it, it's kind of one of those the possibilities are endless. But it's actually a really hard sell to show someone or convince someone that they should use Zapier. Explain to them why they should. Because of that, I think Zapier actually has a much lower adoption rate of, and we see this same, same thing in EDD. But not that many people use it because it's a hard sell. I think it's because it's overwhelming. You go in and you you see all of these options of how you can connect this system to that system to this system. And it can be challenging to kind of grasp in your mind what that really means.
0: Yeah, I think it's a marketing problem more than anything. I think the way you have to sell it is you have to give people examples of, of you what you have to sell a solution yes, not a tool. Exactly. Because it, all it is is it's like a hub for all these con- other connections. It's like a it's kind of like a universal remote, you know. But but it's hard to sell that that as an idea, right? Like, oh, you can connect it to everything but give me an example of how i can use yeah. that to you know yeah it's something that we've been trying to do
1: in edd and we've done, we've done a a variety of blog posts and tutorials on it but we need to do a whole lot more yeah um, do and you, you we're have a, do the same thing in AffiliateWP.
0: Do you have a Zapier extension? Uh, is that is yes. that what it is? It's like a yeah, we an add-on?
1: A, we have an add-on plugin for both AffiliateWP WP and for edd.
0: Right. Is there some services that you don't have an add-on for because you have Zapier? Yes. Um, So,
1: Affiliatipity, for example, um, a lot of people have asked for a Mailchimp integration.
0: Right. You don't bother. We're not making
1: Mailchimp integration. Right. Because we're going to say you should use Zapier instead, because you can do you can do the exact same things, but so much more at the same time, and there's no reason to have two systems. Now, whether that remains the true true, that's what it is right now.
0: Right. So that on your site, though, you could create a new product, basically that looks like a product. But then it just explains that you
1: could. You can yeah, use Zapier totally could. Uh,
0: just so that The, shows the downside out. to
1: it, though, yeah. is let's say that somebody uses Mailchimp and they have a paid Mailchimp account, and then they want to use Zapier, and they have enough traffic and they have enough um, actions they need to perform that they're going in order to use it, they have to pay for Zapier as well. Is the is the big downside to it? Um, but you're paying for that endless flexibility and possibilities. Another example of like an ad, an extension that we could add to add a feature set would be say like an integration with Google Docs or Google Spreadsheets. So, all right, let's every time that a referral record is generated log it to a spreadsheet. Well, that's really really easy to do with Zapier. So, we're probably not going to build that that integration, everywhere. we're just going to say here's how you can do it with Zapier.
0: Right. See, I, n- I never, also, I never even think of using Zapier. That's 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 another part of the problem, right? <laughs> I right.
1: I think that that is exactly the problem. Like, it, it is absolutely a marketing thing because we don't think of it as as that solution. Uh, we think, okay, I need to I need to integrate with Dropbox, so I'm going to go look for a Dropbox tool. I'm not going to look for a Zapier tool that just happens to be able to talk to the Dropbox. Another way that we we try to to sell to people is. Okay, Easy Digital Downloads, for example, has a MailChimp add-on that is, very, is pretty powerful. But what if you want to do something outside of the box of that? That's when Zapier comes into play. If you want to do something with a little bit more fun, refined controls or conditionals, or for example, you want to only subscribe people to this list if they buy X amount in, in, in something Uh, or they buy X product, or they buy $500 worth, they get added to this VIP list or something like that. That's another place where Zapier becomes incredibly useful. But it's a hard sell, but it's such a cool system. Uh, It was was also a way for us to to really test our REST API that we released with 1.9, because it's 100% dependent on the REST API. Uh, In Easy Digital Downloads 2.7, which is also coming in January, uh, hopefully, Uh, we're doing a few things. Uh, one of the big focuses is on internal APIs um, and abstraction layers. So, we have this long, ongoing project that is to move away from WP Post and Post Meta tables and moving all of our data to custom tables. One of the things that we have to do to make that happen is uh, really thorough abstraction layers. So, we don't ever want anybody interacting with the WP Post. API like the, the various helper functions for get post get post meta update post etc. We want people to integrate with our abstraction layer on top of that so that they can use our APIs and we can move the data without anything breaking. So we're, we're introducing a couple more layers of that abstraction API, um, including one called EDD Discount to handle for discount codes. There's one for EDD Gateway, which is now that one's not as much of an abstraction layer, but it's still related. Um, and then also there's one for EDD cart that we're working on introducing. And there's a, a few other areas with that as well. Those are the major things that are happening that are taking a ton of time to build. Um, there's there's some other minor improvements. Um, and, and some of them are actually be major improvements, but they're not as prominent, at least for us. Um, so, for example, like there's a couple issues on... On checkout, where if you have an error, some of your checkout data gets lost. Some like your personal details that you put in, that kind of stuff is getting improved. Um, Basically, just some more polished details. We did have something really, um, that's been problematic for a while that we just got resolved um, this morning, actually. Uh, Or we pushed an update that should resolve it this morning. In all of our plugins, EDD, Restricted Content Pro and Affiliate WP, as well as several others, we have plugin updaters that talk to our stores so that if we release a, a, version, a, a new version of an extension, it, um, your website can communicate with our store to know about the new version details, get a download link, install the update, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we've had this ongoing conflict for a long time with object caching. and But not always. It only happens in some sites. Primarily happens with sites that run W3 Total Cache. The WordPress update API uses transients to cache the the update data and to know whether or not it should check for new updates to know what the update details were, etc. And so our up, our plugin updaters have always tied into that pseudo API, it's not, there's not really an API for it, it just happens that there are filters and hooks that we can tie into to inject our data into that cache. So we can fire a remote request and then store it into the update data that WordPress and caches in a transient. Well, what we were seeing is update checks running on every single page load, or at least every single page load of the plugins page. And so every now and then, we would see a site that has just horrendous performance because every time they load the admin, it's doing another up check to, for one or even 20 different plugins. And each one of those plugins is a different API request. And so we were seeing really, really bad performance for some, for some of these cases. And we eventually tracked it down that if you had object caching enabled in W3 Total Cache, or your server had object caching configured in in one way or another, that when we try to set a transient, it basically just went into a black hole. And so then when it reloads a page, guess what? That transient doesn't exist anymore. Um, And actually, on Friday afternoon, uh, our web host, Pagely, reached out to us and said, hey, we're seeing a whole lot of repeat requests to your server. Uh, It actually took the server down uh, a few minutes ago, because this one site sent something like 500 API requests in a, in a super short time span, and it was due to this same problem. So um, we just we just pushed out a minor update that fixes it. And basically, the, the fix um, is to not use transients, but is to use options instead. We'll have a dev blog post that we'll write up on our ED development blog sometime this week or next week about it. Um, but it was kind of an interesting problem to track down Uh, especially because it doesn't happen to everybody. I mean, most, most times we would go in and look at a site, no, it works perfectly fine. And then all of a sudden on somebody else's site, it would just obliterate their performance.
0: Yeah. Phantom, phantom issues that come and go like that are the hardest things to debug. um, Yeah. I've found super tricky. There's one, we have one that's, we haven't resolved yet in uh, offload S3 and it, it just keeps coming and going. We can't reproduce it with any uh, reliability. Uh, or reliably, I should say. So, like, if you save the settings, sometimes they'll just not... They'll just be the same when the page reloads. (laughs) So, again, I think it has something to do with caching. But when you save, we're definitely flushing the cache, and we're definitely... It definitely works most of the time, but sometimes it doesn't. It's just... It's a weird one, and we just haven't, uh, haven't tracked it down yet. So...
1: Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's pretty much what's been keeping us busy. Uh, there's a few other things, but, uh, we'll run out of time. We'll keep going. Should we chat a little bit about, uh, what was announced at WordCamp US and the, and the state of the word?
0: Yeah, I think we should. Um, well, I mean, so, so should we just give it in a nutshell kind of what the changes are? Um,
1: I yeah, I mean, now there, I think there's a variety of changes, but there's one that was really, um, yeah important or that's going to be very noticeable in the next six months to a year yeah. uh do you want to give a quick rundown of what that was
0: well so we're, they're not doing uh scheduled releases anymore so wordpress core was released pretty much on a i think it was three months schedule was it
1: um yeah every three months
0: yeah, it was either every three months or every four months. I can't remember which. But anyway, it's regular interval intervals that there was a WordPress release. They are scrapping that. There, there will no longer be uh, any fixed date where we can expect a w- new version of WordPress core, a new major version of WordPress core. They're still going to do uh, security releases uh, regularly, patch patch releases, but there's not going to be any... Major version, and I think the reasoning behind um, that—that Matt explained in uh, the state of the word—was so that they can work on kind of bigger. They can tackle bigger things that will likely take longer than a three-month time window, Um, which. It makes sense to me, but makes me nervous as well. <laughs> what, what, were your, what were your thoughts? Did I get all that right? Or well, is, there, is there anything else to it? Yeah, I think, I think there's one other thing
1: that should be included there. So it's not just to work on bigger projects, but it's also saying, hey, when we have a project that's done, let's just ship it. Why, why delay this one project two months while other things are getting done? So now it's kind of in this idea that we're doing feature development. And when a feature is ready, it's shipped. When another feature is ready, it's shipped. And so maybe that means there's two big features that get shipped one month, and then nothing for six months. Is is kind of the idea of just saying we're going to do continual releases, but features are not tied to big milestones anymore. Every, every feature is now its own milestone, kind of that kind of idea. Um, and and I really like that approach, actually. Um, I mean, just for as an example, in in our own plugins. We have quite a few large features or improvements that are done and they're completely done and tested, but they're sitting there not released because there are other other features in the same milestone that are not done. And so this feature that we finished 2 months ago isn't going to be released for another 2 months because it's inside of the release that still has other things to do.
0: Yep. Exactly. I I completely agree. We've we've recently rejigged our release process to be more feature oriented. And we've seen the benefits of that uh, in the last couple of releases. We release uh, when the focus feature is ready to go. We just release it with, we just cut a branch and, and release it and then keep working on other things later. We don't try to, before what we were doing, we were like grabbing a bunch of issues, sticking them in a milestone and saying, hey, we're going to finish all of this. And this is the That's release. That's exactly what we do right now. Right. You know, one of those issues lo- might look benign and then you realize, oh, sh- crap, this is going to actually take like weeks <laughs> to do. And then so then you've committed. I mean, you can punt that issue potentially, but I, I don't know the way we're doing it now. It just feels so much nicer because, you know, one person is working on the kind of the f- core feature and whenever they're done, that's when we cut the release and we ship it. Um, it, it just feels so much nicer to be able to, to do that.
1: Um, I'm excited to see how it um, how it plays out over the next six months or so, um, and whether it means that we're going to see five big updates in the next six months with five new awesome improvements, or if it means that we're not going to see hardly anything. That's I don't know yet.
0: That's kind of though. I think that's what he explained though was that it it was going to take longer for stuff to come out. It's my understanding of what he was talking about is that they were going to work on three uh, focus areas it was the editor oh, there was two other things i can't remember do you remember the there was like three uh, not off the top of my head anymore. yeah i can't remember either but anyway there was like three areas that they're going to work on and really focus on oh i think it was the editor the customizer and something else so i don't know though i think it's going to be I would be surprised if we see a core release in the next six months, like a major release of core in the next six months. I, that, just the way it'll, he was talking about it. be interesting for it. sure.
1: Yeah. It does make me think, like if we go back, say, about two years when automatic updates were first getting pushed into WordPress, I think that's about two years ago. Um, one of the analogies that people kept referencing was Google Chrome and how Chrome is always pushing updates and you never really... It doesn't matter what version you're on. I mean, you don't know that there was a big update. Um, I think this actually moves us further in that direction. I, I, in, in one way, I think we'll be able to do a lot more updates over time, but they're, they're a lot less burdensome for users and site maintainers to update to. Um, because instead of having thir- 13 major changes and then a whole bunch of little changes to test, you have one. And I, I don't know if that's what we're going to see, but that's what I hope to see at least.
0: Yeah. Oh, here's the other, um, the other area of focus is the REST API. And I'm starting to remember now. So the, he was talking about basically testing whether or not the REST API was good for WordPress or not by trying to convert whole sections of WordPress to use the REST API. Uh, sorry, oh, okay. whole sections of the dashboard to use the REST API. So, for example, maybe the editor would use the REST API rather than admin-ajax.php uh, or the customizer, same kind of thing, right? So, I think I think he was talking about tying all these things together. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting nonetheless. But the whole thing about um, Calypso and like basically Calypso-ifying the dashboard... I mean, that, that kind of, I don't know, that whole idea concerns me a little bit, um, but I guess we'll see.
1: There was some, some good commentary, I think, in Brian Krogsgaard's uh, latest or second latest, uh, either his, his newsletter to members or the, um, something he posted on the site that kind of brought up some issues with it, and not necessarily issues, but maybe concerns during the state of the word. Matt announced that they were going to start working with plugins that have over a million active installs to bring in support for those plugins into Calypso, which for anybody that knows, the dedicated desktop app built by Automatic for WordPress. Um, And so one example was WooCommerce, being able to create products in WooCommerce and change and manage products from your desktop app in Calypso. Turns out that... One of the primary weaknesses of that right now is that they don't plan to do support for custom meta boxes. Well, the entire WooCommerce product edit screen is a custom meta box. That's going to be a big challenge that they're going to overcome. But I think that's also that is one of the goals of trying to figure out how do we do this? Um, how do we add in this kind of... And a lot of that's going to be depending on the REST API.
0: Yeah. I mean... Yeah, that's the thing. Like WooCommerce has a REST API, so you, I mean, you could build a completely separate admin that just uses the REST API to save all the settings that 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 get changed v you know via that new UI. So yeah, I don't think MetaBoxes really factors into it at all in that case. I think what concerns me about kind of building out the dashboard, like a Calypso version of the dashboard, um, is not supporting the backwards compatibility stuff, right? So not supporting meta boxes. Well if you replace the dashboard with a Calypso thing that doesn't support meta boxes, that you're just like essentially eliminating tons of plugins, right? That well here's an
1: interesting thing. So as as plugin developers, we see every now and then people come to us and they're confused because they can't find how to install the plugins. It turns out they're using WordPress.com. <laughs> and it's a it's one of those examples of where because the distinction between self-hosted WordPress and WordPress.com can be very confusing for, for people that are not already familiar with it, that they they know they use WordPress. So here's a plugin for WordPress so they can use it. Makes perfect sense. Um, I wonder if this move to doing more and more with Calypso is going to exacerbate some of that, where suddenly somebody's somebody's experience with using WordPress isn't their WordPress dashboard experience or WordPress.org versus WordPress.com, but it's my experience of using WordPress is Calypso. Calypso is WordPress because it's the only thing I've ever used for doing this. And so now I have this plugin, but how do I use the plugin? Because I can't install it. Um, I think that while I think we're a ways from that actually being a reality, that is, I think it is something that will absolutely come, come up in the future if Calypso is continually pushed to be, the, the way that people interact with WordPress. Yeah.
0: I do like the idea of like rebuilding sections of the dashboard to use, to leverage the rest API. I think that it makes total sense. I just, I just hope we do it in a responsible way so that we don't, you know, break all the plugins, <laughs> you know, WordPress cores, the way it's operated to date has been very responsible, right? So it would be a departure to, to, to not be responsible going forward. So yeah. I, I hope so. It'll be interesting for sure. Uh, if anybody has thoughts or comments on it, please let us
1: know, uh, either by through Twitter or on the, on the episode post. Uh, we would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Sure. I think that's going to give us a wrap for the day.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks everybody. And thanks again to Poststatus for sponsoring this
1: episode. Check it out. poststatus.com. Talk soon. Talk to you later.